was walking into the auditorium today, no fewer than three individuals spoke to me about the title of the message today, and specifically were asking about the word munificence. How many of you know what the word munificence means? One, two, three, okay. Um, that means the vast majority. Anybody in the balcony know? No? No? One? Okay. I, you know, I, I chose that word very specifically because it hid what I'm talking about today. Generosity. Munificence carries with it the definition of generosity. And oftentimes when a pastor is approaching the matter of giving, sometimes people will put up a little wall of defense. And rather than having to deal with a wall of defense, I would prefer that we be listening with ears that are open to hear what the Lord has to say. And I know that we are. I'm making a bigger deal of this than uh, probably is necessary. But that's what the word munificence means. So now you've learned a new word, and you can use that to wow your friends and to... Uh, Whenever you're, maybe, maybe you're uh, looking for a password for your ID on the, on the computer. Use munificence. Nobody's going to come up with it. Well, now everybody will come up with that. Anyway, if you would reopen your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, you'll notice that, well, and, and this is important for us to understand, whenever we're looking at a passage of Scripture, one of the key things that is important to do is to put that within the realm of its context. And as we've gone through the book of 1 Corinthians, we've tried to lay a foundation that is solid in that we've considered the specific words in some cases that were used. We've tried to recognize the setting of the book and what was involved in, in the individuals to whom this particular book was addressed. And we've tried to maintain an integrity of context. And as we come to this 16th chapter, I think that the context of this really is important for us to lay hold of. In the entire 15th chapter, the Apostle Paul has really focused his attention upon the resurrection of Christ and the implications of that resurrection for us. It is an expression of something that God has given to us freely by His grace through identification with His Son, by faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, we become identified with Him in that death, burial, and resurrection, and we receive that as a free gift. Now the Lord turns, and within that context, He says, Now, I want to tell you about the matter of giving. It's important to the Lord because it's part of His character. When you look at the Lord Himself, what, what do you see? You see the giver of life. You see the one who has given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. We see every day how the Lord's mercies are given to us and He extends to us so many blessings. And in, in the land in which we live, we are the recipients of so many good things. And we see that reflected in the very character of our God. The greatest gift, of course, was given at the cross through the death of our Savior, giving His body as a sacrifice for our sins, shedding His blood 
so that our sins could be forgiven. Not covered, but cleansed. And so he gave. And then, it's not just a matter of God's character, but it's something that has characterized his people throughout history. You look back at those whom God has set apart for his own tasks, and they continually gave. They gave of themselves. They gave of their material wealth. They gave of their energies. They gave everything that they had for the glory of our Lord and Savior. And then we look at the importance of that giving in the way that it impacts our lives. And we're brought face to face with what the Lord would have us understand about this matter of munificence. I'd like you to look with me at the first four verses because it is incredible how much is contained in this very, very brief passage that helps us lay our attention upon that which God would have us understand when it comes to our involvement in giving and beyond mere giving, but in generosity. And so I call your attention back to these verses once again. In verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you also do or must do also on the first day of the week let each one of you lay something aside storing up as he may prosper that there be no collections when I come and when I come whomever you approve by your letters I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem but if it is fitting that I go also they will go with me what is he telling us in this very very brief portion of scripture well, he's saying this, that the purpose behind giving is a divine purpose. There is a reason for which the Lord calls upon us to give, to be generous. And throughout the scriptures, there's a variety of different ways in which that is reflected. Some of the generosity is based upon the fact that this is the way that God's work is going to go forward. As God's people have been generous with their giving, it has essentially financed the spread of the gospel. When Paul was writing to the Philippians, he made it very, very clear to them that their contributions on his behalf were the reason for which the gospel was able to be spread in parts of the world to where it had never gone before. And he commended them and gave a rather lengthy um, clarification of how thankful he was for the way that they had supported him. The same thing was true when he writes back to these Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. It's as if they got the message. They understood that this is an important part of our walk with the Lord and it spread the gospel. When Paul came to the end of his life, he was writing to Timothy and he said this, there's another reason for giving. He said, it's so that you can support those who are servants of the Lord. And I realize that that becomes somewhat self-serving for me to say that. But you know what's hard? Whenever the passages of Scripture deal with a specific realm of individuals, the tendency is to skip over them and to not say anything because it can be misconstrued. But something I hope you know is that I will tell you the truth and I will try to do it as diplomatically and as 
honestly as I possibly can. But one of the primary reasons for giving is so that people who are involved in the word, who are sharing particularly doctrine, which is specifically what Paul wrote to Timothy, so that they can be remunerated for the time that they spend to prepare what they teach to others. And Paul wrote to Timothy about that in 1 Timothy. But then we come to this passage, which has another very, very specific issue, and that is there was a terrible time going on in the city of Jerusalem. There was famine. There was persecution of the believers. Many of the believers had given up all of their possessions to try to maintain the integrity of the body of Christ as it was meeting together there in Jerusalem. And we had a record of that there in the book of Acts, how the individuals were giving, they were bringing uh, things that they had uh, sold to, to distribute among the brethren. And now what has happened is they've basically run out. And the world needed to understand that it was the responsibility of the church at large to come to the help of the brethren. And so Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he's saying to them essentially the same thing that he said to those who were in Macedonia. He says, there is a tremendous need and you need to be munificent. But he didn't use that word. You need to be generous. And so he lays that foundation for us to understand that this first dimension of giving is based upon a divine purpose that God himself has established. Now we come into the second verse and we read this. On the first day of the week. Unfortunately, this particular English translation misses part of what the original language says at this point. What it says is that on every first day of the week, What the message is being communicated to these Corinthians is this. This giving is to continue with regularity. Every first day that you come together, you are to do so with the idea that you are going to be contributing to the work of the Lord, contributing to the needs of the saints, contributing so that God's name will be glorified through that which is given in and through each one of you. And he says that this giving has to be based upon a predetermination on that first day of the week. You come and you give. So what is happening is, with regularity, the people are giving in, as we're going to find out, in accordance with the way the Lord has blessed them. And it is done not based upon an emotional response. It's not based upon anything that would draw upon them in an irregular fashion. What he is saying is, as the Lord is faithful to you day after day after day, demonstrate that faithfulness as you continue to give with regularity. One of the, uh, the commentators on this particular portion of Scripture said this, Christian beneficence, there's another great word, Christian beneficence is to be the outcome of a settled principle, not of an occasional impulse. It's to be regular. It is to be part of the practice of our worship. 
one of the things that we try to emphasize when we meet together is that worship is not merely reflected through song. Though in our day, it seems that many have seemed to embrace that philosophy, that we worship the Lord when we're singing. Well, we do. But that's not where it ends. Our worship is in our giving. Our worship is in our reflection upon the Lord and upon His goodness to us. Even now, as we are opening His Word, we are involved in worshiping because we are saying to the Lord, You are worthy of our attention in this important matter. And we are listening. We're hearing what you have to say. It isn't inappropriate to be moved with a degree of compassion from time to time where perhaps we will become involved in additional giving as we are oftentimes when when different works of ministry around the world are presented here and we hear about specific needs where there are... um, hospitals that are being built, where there are orphanages that are in the process of being established, where children are being fed, where they normally don't have enough to eat. And yes, our hearts are moved and we give in addition to our regular giving, but that should never be the basis upon which our giving is done with regularity. On that first day of the week, let each one of you Every little phrase becomes important. Now we begin to understand that the giving is inclusive. He's not saying, those of you who have wealth, give. He is saying, each one of you. Over the years, I've had the privilege of interacting with individuals who, from a human point of view and from a material point of view, have very, very little of what this world has to give what it has to offer. And what I have seen is oftentimes people who are in a situation like that will become the most generous in the way that they respond. Perhaps not in the total amount that they have the capability to give, but in the willingness to be sacrificial in their giving. There is never a point at which anyone should ever say, I don't have enough to give anything to the Lord. Everyone is to help carry the burden. Those who have greater wealth have a greater involvement. But those who are struggling to make ends meet have got to understand that part of the blessing of giving is our willingness to say, Lord, as I give to you, I am depending upon you to return to me what I need. As you have promised. You know, in Philippians, we will often make reference to the verse that says, And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He means that. that. That's exactly what he means. But did you read the context of that passage? The context is, you have been giving out of your poverty. And you have been generous. And not only have you given of your wealth, but you've given yourselves. And then he says, based upon that, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. We love grasping the promises that God has made. But some promises are conditional. And that's one of them. The condition is our generosity, our willingness 
to give. Because when we do, we make a declaration of our dependence upon the Lord's capability to supply. We make a declaration of our understanding that our giving is a reflection of the love that He has had for us in giving to us. And so the Apostle Paul captures that in this little phrase. Let each one of you. And then he goes on and he says this. Let each one of you lay something aside. Now what he's telling us is that there needs to be an accumulation of that which is given. There are people who embrace as the instruction of this portion of God's word, this principle and this philosophy, that all giving is to be done through the church. The reason being that the the message that is being delivered is being delivered to a church. He has made specific reference to the fact that this is supposed to be shared with the churches in Galatia. And I understand where that argument comes from. I'm not sure that I embrace that and, and go along with it completely. But I do believe this that the primary place of our giving should be the church. And there are reasons for that. One is the importance of the church. Sadly, in our day, the church, in its local manifestation, has become almost looked at as an unnecessary evil. Well, you've got to have a place to meet. You've got to come together. Do you understand something? Christ died for the church. He didn't die for anything else. He died for the church. And the local manifestation of the church is where we see the extent of which that death brought benefit to the body of Christ as it's reflected over the whole world. But it is not an undesignated body. It is not an unidentified body. It identifies itself as it meets together. And every ministry that is carried out for the glory of Christ has to have its roots in and through a local church. It requires accountability. It requires organization. It is all part of the oversight and the administration of that which God receives through the gifts of His people, and then His people become responsible for the way it's used. I don't know if you captured this as I was saying that, but the responsibility for that which is given and the way it's used falls back upon you. You decide. The pastor doesn't decide. The elders don't decide. The deacons don't decide. You give certain authority to the elders, more specifically in the material realm to the deacons, to go so far with expenditure and no farther. And when you get to that point, you don't do anything, you come to us. Do you all understand how important your voice is in this? It's not just that you give for the support of the work. You are also responsible to be stewards of that which is given. And you decide where the money goes. It's part of the reason why membership in a local congregation is so important. You become part of the voice 
that says not only do we give, but we determine the direction that we go with this. And if you find that even with a smaller expenditure that the the deacons have made a bad decision or that any individual who has been given a certain degree of freedom with the financials has made a bad decision, you have the right to bring that into question and to challenge it and to have an explanation of what happens with what you give. Now, there are times when your giving may extend beyond the church. Sadly, some people decide not to give to the church at all and they spend their, their giving elsewhere. And, and they're unbiblical. They're, they're out of God's will. I, I'm just telling you that from a scriptural point of view. The initial giving goes to the church. Then, if you choose to extend beyond that, there are other ministries. And many of us are involved in giving to other ministries, but never at the expense of the local church. Paul makes that very, very clear. In the same passage, he proceeds further. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. The giving should be proportionate. When the Lord gives to his people in abundance, he basically is telling us this. I am giving you this as a steward. And your giving should be proportionate to that which I have brought into your possession. Here's the thing that I know is troubling for some, and some of you aren't going to like that I say this, and you probably don't like it every time that I say it. But I I want to try to explain what I believe about the tithe. We have used that terminology with regularity uh, within the Christian realm. And it's not a bad concept. (laughs) Somebody said, well, of course not. It's in the Bible. Well, hear me out. The tithe was initially given by Abraham when he gave a tenth of that which he had accumulated to Melchizedek. And the tithe became a principle upon which others would begin to build. When God set apart the children of Israel as his people... He instituted in an official capacity the tithe. But sadly, many people forget what the tithe to Israel really was. It was not 10%. It was a minimum of 23%. There was the tithe, there was the tithe, another tithe, and then there was a three-year tithe. Some people believe that it was a a full 30%. Others believe that the third tithe was divided among the three years so that it comes out to about 23%. I can't prove one way or the other, but here's what I do know. The tithe was designed not for the spiritual realm alone, but it was their tax. It's the way they financed their armies. It's the way that they paid for their political leaders. It's the way that they kept their king operating. And so they were giving essentially what we would have... Uh, <laughs> what kind of terminology do I use when I, when I bring up the word tax? Rip off. <laughs> I chose not to use that particular word because th- I'll tell you what, I'm glad that I can pay taxes. I really am. I'm not always crazy about where they all go, but I'm glad that there are institutions that see to it that we have law enforcement, that we have fire protection, that we have people that build the roads and all sorts of different things that the taxes go to. 
And I look at that and I say, you know what? That's part of living in a society that enjoys the benefits and the blessings that, that we enjoy. And then beyond that, I guess some of it is a ripoff. But um, I think we have to look at it in a balanced way. Israel was tithed. Now you come to the New Testament and you're at a loss to find the concept of tithe. It's not there. And there's a reason for it. The reason is that the Lord raised the principle and he said, now, you have experienced my love. It is not just a matter of your political situation. It's not a matter of your government. What I am giving you is the opportunity to reflect back to me that which I have given to you. And let that be, as he says, in proportion to the way that I have blessed you. I think the tithe is a good principle. I think that principle is not based upon the law, but I think it's based more upon Abraham's response to Melchizedek. And I look at that and I say, you know what, the 10% is a good place to start. That is probably a, a good foundation. But then the Lord has blessed in so many ways beyond what would be appropriate in giving only 10%. And if I withhold that, the Lord raises a question. Would you rob God? <laughs> Do you want to be guilty of robbing God? He tells us where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Uh, how many times have you heard that said the other way? Where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. Uh-uh. No, no. That's not what God said. He said where your treasure is, where you choose to direct that which has been entrusted to you as a steward, that's where your heart will follow. You set for yourself treasures above, and your heart will follow to the things above. You're greedy here, your heart's going to be focused on the things of the earth. And so he says not to love the world, neither the things that are in it, because this world is passing away. And he gives us the opportunity to give proportionately. Now some may not be able to give a larger percentage but quite frankly what I have watched over the years is as individuals who are followers of Christ and, and this is not all this is just some as they begin to prosper instead of there being an increase in their generosity their munificence in the Lord's work they just continue to raise their lifestyle. And it becomes self-consumed. The Lord says, that's not my way. My way is you give proportionately as I have prospered you. And then he says, that there be no collections when I come. In other words, our giving should be current. It should be up to date. It should be, now is when we have given uh, now is when we've received, now we give. And we reflect through God's faithfulness, our faithfulness in giving to His work, our faithfulness in maintaining stewardship over that, that which we retain, using it for His honor and glory. And there's nothing to collect when I get there. It's already there. 
I've, I've called upon you to regularly give on the first day of each week, to give proportionately, to be able to be involved in the blessing of giving back what the Lord has entrusted to you. And now, here, I want it all to be accumulated so that when I get to you, we don't have to receive a debt. Where in your heart you've said, here's what I intend to give to the Lord someday. No. You give it now. And then he says, why? Because what follows into verse 3 is, and when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. It's supposed to be dispersed. It's supposed to be used. When I was first starting out as a pastor, I pastored, uh, and, and you, you're aware of this, a little church, a little country church in Wisconsin. And besides being cold, it was a very good learning experience. There was a, a brother in the Lord who was pastoring a church uh, probably about 15 miles away. And uh, he and I would get together from time to time, and, and he, would share, he had been a pastor for a number of years, and he would share things with me that were very, very helpful in the practical dimension of trying to understand what goes on with churches and the dynamics that are involved. And one of the things that he lamented was this. Their church had a large rainy day account. Huge enormous and he looked at me one day and he said Brian the worst thing that ever happened to our church was that account it became the basis of security for the people and every time an issue would come up they would make reference to that account they would not use it they would not drain it and it became an albatross this dead thing hanging around their neck and they couldn't move forward. I don't believe that's why people give. I think that what the Lord is telling us here is very clear. You give because there are needs that I will meet in my accounting of things and I want you to use that which is given. Is it appropriate to have a rainy day fund for a church? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, if... if we're in August and the air conditioner goes down and it's going to cost, I don't know, how much would it cost to replace one of our air conditioners, Bill? A lot? Thank you. That really nails it down. Uh, would would $10,000 cover it? Barely? Maybe? Close? To have an account of $10,000 to say, okay, there is a need that has arisen. That's one thing. But if our church gives, and you see the numbers, you know month by month where we are. We're in the hundreds of thousands. We don't keep 300,000 back for a rainy day. We trust the Lord for a rainy day. We try to be wise, but you gave so the money would be used for the honor of the Lord. And so we use it. It's given. It's dispersed. It's used in the way that the Lord is directing us as a church to proceed. And we look at that and we say, Lord, we never want to be guilty 
of being responsible for that which you provide through your people and not using it for that for which the people have given it. By the way, that's part of what you have to oversee too, that it's used the right way. And then the final thing that he says is this, end of verse 4. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. What he's telling us is this. Giving should be handled with integrity. There has to be an accounting for what is done with the contributions of God's people. If you're part of our church family, you know that every year we publish, and and it can be embraced more than than at the year. There is a, a process that a person can go through by our bylaws where you can see the financials and, and not of individuals. That is not public record, but what the church receives and how we spend it. And at the end of the year, you get an accounting. You get an accounting for the church. You get an accounting for the school. And you're able to look at it and you're able to question and you're able to talk about it because it's an important matter. And Paul says this, we better handle that carefully. You're going to receive money for the believers in Jerusalem. You pick out who you send. In other words, you want to be sure it all gets there. You don't want to pick out somebody who's going to keep some of it for himself. You make sure it gets there. And if you're looking at those who are set aside to carry that money there and you say, you know, we'd like a little bit more accountability here. We'd like a little bit more oversight. He said, I'll go along too. I'll be part of it. I'm going to make sure that everything you have given is going to make it to the purpose for which it was given. And that's the way money has to be handled. We come to a a passage like this. And to be very honest with you, it's one of those that, that for me is a little bit, it, it's difficult to deal with because you, you don't talk to people about their money. And then I realize, I'm wrong. I'm not talking to you about your money. The Lord is. And He's talking to me. And the reality is this. The evidence of my love for the Savior And my maturity in my walk with Him is going to be reflected by the way I handle the material goods He puts under my care. And He measures you that way too. All of that, the giving, we look back and we say, Lord, we are willing to do this Because you gave. You gave. You gave for my redemption. You gave for my forgiveness. You gave for my eternal life. You have given me everything I need for life and godliness. Thank you. Father, we thank you for everything that you have provided for us. And Lord, we have been focusing in this passage upon that which you have brought to our attention, the material realm, the material wealth that we enjoy. And Father, we have been a people that have been so blessed. We have far more than we need. And yet you continue to remain faithful. 
I pray, Father, that you would help us to reflect through our understanding of your word and the way that we respond materially is truly a reflection of where we are spiritually. I pray that you would be pleased through our lives in the days ahead because, Lord, we look at what you have given. We thank you for our Savior in whose name we pray. Amen.